Genesis 29. Genesis 29. And as we read these verses, we remind ourselves that this is the word of God. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, The, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and, and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also and return for another 
seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. With me to that passage that we read, I have to confess right from the outset that some of the verses that, that we read earlier are amongst, for me, the most baffling of all verses. I, I have never been able and probably will never be able to understand how, how a guy can, can marry the wrong sister and, and not know about it until the next morning. However, my failures and my inability to understand does not in any way, shape or form alter what happened. All scripture is God-breathed. And these events of which we read earlier actually happened. And therefore, they need to have something to teach us. It's one of the reasons why I systematically preach through, because it would be so easy just to kind of skip over and move into chapter 31 or something, but this is the word of God. And I want to share with you three things this evening. Firstly, we'll see Jacob journeyed. Then Jacob served, and then Jacob was deceived. Firstly, Jacob journeyed. You may recall the last time we, we looked at, at Genesis, we noted that Jacob had what we would call a God moment at Bethel. Because it was there as he, as he lay down to sleep one night that God met with him. That God spoke with him. It was there at Bethel that Jacob had vowed to follow God. So it's very easy, I would argue, to see why Bethel was a special place. It must have seemed to, to, to Jacob, almost if you like, as, as the gateway to heaven. Yet much as he might have wanted... Jacob could not stay there. He needed to be moving on. He needed to be journeying on. If God's purposes and God's plans and God's promises were to be fulfilled, then that won't happen with Jacob staying put. That won't happen with Jacob kind of reflecting on God, speaking with him, kind of glorying in the past. No, he needed to be up and he needed to be on the move. His journey needed to continue. Now, of course, Bethel 
was a very special place. There's no denying that. He, Jacob would look back to it often. We would we'll see whenever we reach chapter 35 when we get there that, that he would even return to it. But for now, the time had come to continue his journey. I was reading recently in my own devotions, I was reading the account in Luke's gospel of the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. You, you recall how, how that transfiguration of how Peter spoke of um, erecting three shelters, obviously to kind of prolong this experience, this visitation. And if you were there with Peter and James and John, you can understand the response. But just as here with Jacob, so with Jesus on that transfiguration moment, there was work to be done. There was more journeying to travel. And brothers and sisters, it is the same for you, it's the same for me. You see, these special, these Bethel moments, and, and last time we looked at this, I shared, I shared two of my Bethel moments. These kind of mountaintop experiences, they are not, at least in my experience, the normal every day. They are more often than not given to equip us for the journey ahead. To strengthen us for further service. You see, our walk with the Lord is just that. A walk. We don't stand still. We journey forward. Reminded of that great old hymn, Forever with the Lord. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Life from his death is in that word, his immortality. Here in the body pen, absent from him I roam, yet nightly pitch my moving tent. A day's march nearer home. If we are not journeying on, then at best we are standing still. And in no time we will actually be going backwards. And as Jacob journeyed, he eventually reached that place. He reached that place where the next unfolding of God's plan and God's purpose would come to fruition. He comes to a well where there are some shepherds there with their sheep. They're waiting to water them. He, he finds out that they are from Haran, that they find out that they know Laban. And, and, and indeed, here comes his daughter Rachel. 
And it seems to me that we have a love at first sight scenario here. And I'll move maybe, maybe to perhaps impress Rachel. Jacob moves the stone from the well. We're actually told that it was very large, very heavy. But he does a bit of manly business and moves it, moves the stone and, and he waters the sheep and he kisses Rachel and, and he weeps and, and he tells her he's a relative and, and she runs and she tells her dad and, and he comes out and he embraces Jacob who finds out that he's actually his nephew and, and he takes him home where Jacob tells him all these things. And one imagines that all these things covers everything that Jacob has been going through. And of how his mum, Laban's sister, I know it's kind of complicated here, but Laban's sister sent him there. There's a whole lot that is going on here. But I just want to pull out one thing before moving to our next point. And it's this. Life, as we saw this morning, is not about chance. Jacob did not arrive at that well by chance. And the people he spoke to did not know Laban by chance. And the fact that Rachel came was not by chance. Jacob had vowed to follow God. And taking him at his word, standing on every promise, Jacob started that journey of faith. And as he goes, as he journeys, God goes before him. And we see a similar situation as to what we found when, do you remember a few chapters back, when, when Abraham's servant, also at a well, found a wife for, for Jacob's dad Isaac? And back then, the servant's response is so true then as it is today. When in the words, the, the NIV doesn't really translate it very well, the, the AV says, says this, I being in the way, the Lord led me. Brothers and sisters, there are no coincidences in the providence of God. It is only God incidences. And when, like Jacob, we earnestly seek to journey with him, he will lead us. He will guide us. Are you journeying? Are you moving forward in your walk with the Lord? Jacob journeyed. Then secondly, notice, sorry, notice Jacob served. Laban welcomes Jacob into the family. And uh, Jacob's been there for a month. He's probably kind of been getting eyed up and just kind of watching. Laban's probably been watching him. And uh, Jacob's been working away. And Laban recognizes that and, and he says, well, like, you know, you should be paid for the work you're doing, Jacob. 
And uh, Laban says to him, what should your wages be? I rise went into work tomorrow and your boss said that to you. What should your wages be? And Jacob, who, who it seems is, is head, is head over heels in love with Rachel. He then says, well, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban, being the businessman that he is, kind of because he's kind of getting seven years free labor here, he says, okay. And verse 20 shows us something of the love and the commitment that Jacob had when we read, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Again, what, what are we to make of it? What can we learn from it? Well, it would be helpful to understand something uh, of the cultural background regarding marriage at the time. It was customary for, for the groom or for at least the groom's family to, to pay the bride's family a, a, a kind of a sum of money, a, a kind of dowry. Someone who in recent years has seen three daughters married off, that seems to me a pretty good idea. But, 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 but Jacob here arrives penniless. So seven years' service for a wife is quite a commitment. Shows, as one writer says, that such a sum was a guarantee of serious intention and a check on fleeting attachments. This just wasn't a little crush. Jacob's love for Rachel was such that he served and he worked, and he labored seven years in order to get what he wanted. He worked, and he waited, and the time came. That would not have been easy. Seven years. I remember waiting the nine or ten months between getting engaged and married, it seemed like an eternity. Seven years. But Jacob saw it through because Jacob saw, if you like, the end result. And yes, there are many lessons here for instance, in regards to marriage, wait till and for the right person. And while you do abstain from sexual activity. However, the thought that struck me was in relation to this serving. We have seen how Jacob loved Rachel. We have seen how he was willing to, to work and to wait. 
And here, almost forgive the rather simplistic point, brothers and sisters, but, but this for me, what personally was and is very challenging, it is this. We profess to love the Lord. His beauty is, as the hymn says, beyond description. His love, as this table shows, is complete and is unconditional. Are we, like Jacob, willing to serve, to work, to wait for and on him? You see, Jacob, for, for, for again, did, did I say Jacob, for the price that awaited for what lay ahead. He felt seven years as only a few days. Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, who for the joy that was set before him and for what lay ahead, the way beyond the cross, endured the cross, despised its shame, and tonight is seated at the Father's right hand. Paul speaks of pressing on towards the goal. May we live, or may we like Jacob, serve out of love for the one who first loved us. Jacob journeyed, Jacob served, finally notice, Jacob deceived. I don't know what you make of this incident, but what happens is the, the, the seven years pass and Jacob approaches Laban and kind of for someone who seems to be head over heels in love, kind of rather unromantically says, the time is up, give me my wife, my time is complete, and I want to lie with her. Not quite a way to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Do you notice there that Jacob does not specifically mention Rachel by name? He just says, my time is up. Give me my wife. Why didn't he say, give me my beloved Rachel? Don't know. However, Laban gets everything arranged. And again, something of an understanding of the wearing in this culture is important. Uh, Scholars tell us that the whole event was kind of male-dominated. One scholar tells us that the legal aspect of it didn't even feature a formal ceremony, but was rather a kind of private marriage contract drawn up by the families, which actually did not depend on the agreement of the bride and groom. And some were made while they were still children. 
all seems alien to us, but it was the culture of the day. And so come the wedding, a marriage feast was held that, that could run for a week. And on the wedding day, after the feast, the couple, the, the, the couple that were married would retire to their chamber to, to consummate the marriage. Now, all of that in and of itself doesn't really help that much in finding answers to what happens here. Come the evening after the feasting, which also would have included drink, Laban takes Leah and gives her to Jacob instead of Rachel. And Jacob lies with Leah, and that signifies sexual intercourse. And then in the morning, surprise, surprise, lying there, it's not Rachel, but Leah. And Jacob confronts Laban, I'm sure he must have, who, who uses custom. The older marrying before the younger. And as I say, Jacob didn't specify. And Laban seems to be a bit of a shrewd cookie to say the least. And then bizarrely, he, he offers Rachel for another seven years of work. He's a very scrupulous businessman, to say the least. And Jacob agrees. And, and, and what he does is he, he finished the bridal week with Leah. That was another of the customs. Then he marries Rachel and he's another bridal week for Rachel. What a start. What a mess. What kind of morals is going on here? And, and, and what can we learn from it? Well, I guess we could spend a lot of time looking at these questions and searching for answers. But you know, if you notice, and I've kind of searched this week, the text is strangely, even rather annoyingly, quiet. No get any reason. And so all speculation would be just that. Did Jacob have too much to drink? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. However, I think verse 26, gives us perhaps something of an idea as to the why and what. A literal translation of verse 26 would be this. It is not done in our place to set the younger before the elder. That would ring a bell with Jacob. You see, Jacob was the younger. Jacob had duped his father in order to get the blessing. 
Some commentators see this as, without being too crude, Jacob kind of getting his comeuppance. And that he, as I said, tricked both Esau and his father. And so now kind of what goes around comes around and, and Laban has kind of tricked him and, and that God's teaching him a lesson. Maybe. If I'm honest, I don't know. But what I do know is that our sin <coughs> has consequences and can be far-reaching consequences. And we could speculate as to why all of this happened. However, brothers and sisters, what I do know and what I hold firm to is that God is working out his purposes and his plans and nothing will thwart them. And yes, at times, we face difficulties. Yes, at times, we face disappointments. Yes, we face trials. Yes, we face tribulations. Yes, we face situations that we just can't explain. Have you ever went through a situation like that? You, you just can't explain it. This situation can't be explained. And some of the things that we go through as we journey in our walk with God, we just can't explain them. The secret things belong to God. And we have to learn to stand on every promise of his word. And some of these things can be of like Jacob here, of, of our own making. Some of it can be uh, of, of others. And yes, uh, God at times does show us that the choices in the past can have consequences in the future. But the thing is to learn from them. But isn't it better by far to be obedient in the first place? Did Jacob learn from this act of deception? Well, the unfolding chapters will tell us if he did or if he didn't. But brothers and sisters, let us learn. Because these things are written that we might do so. Jacob journeyed. Jacob served. Jacob was deceived. Let's pray.